0: hello welcome to Not the Mama with Auntie Julia. I am your host, Auntie Julia and today we have very special guest, artist and educator Damien Davis.
1: Hi, how's welcome
0: Damien.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Well, I mean perfect timing because we've tried to do this. For a while. Like, for months. Yeah. But it's perfect timing because you're my first official guest on the new sound equipment. Oh,
1: thank you. So oh, really? It, yeah. Oh, so exciting.
0: I know. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be the best episode yet. That's so exclusive. I know. Well, you are. You deserve to be exclusive. <laughs> no, I'm going to have to have all my friends who I had on re-record new episode. I'm going to need them anyway because it's very hard to get people on the record talking about not wanting children. But <laughs> uh, no, so that they can be heard in their most perfect sound purest form yes um well damien is not only an artist educator but also my friend and colleague um but he is most officially an artist and quickly on the rise so if you're interested in investing in art i will link to all of his work so that you can spend your bucks
1: oh i appreciate that tremendously
0: a uh, superstar friend of the pod, Lisa Traeger, owns three of his pieces.
1: <laughs> I'm the one honored by that.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, it is, she's got a great collection going. She does. I have one mini little piece. You do. Which I love, too. Yes. Someday. Someday when higher education. Oh, someday when I get my spot bonus. There you go. <laughs> I, I did ask for a raise. I leaned in, everyone, and I was told no. <laughs> which many people are told no. When they ask, many women. We, we're asking, that's not the yes, problem with yes. life. Um, but no, anyway, so yeah, Damien and I work together, but also, why don't you tell everybody about some of your recent projects that you've had
1: going on? Recent projects. Um, I've been fortunate to do a bunch of shows lately. I just did a show down in Reading, Pennsylvania, with the space uh, Goggle Works. Not Google, but Goggle. Uh, it's this old goggle factory that has been turned into an art school. Uh, I had a lot of fun doing that. I, yeah, it looked awesome. Yeah, no, I, I'm really happy with it. Um, I just had a group show open last night. Oh, yes. That you came Lane to. and I
0: patroned the show. Yes, yes. It was doubly awesome for me because not only do I love art, but I love history. And it was a show in, it's called The Old Stone House, which is in Park Slope, mm. Brooklyn. And it's an old house um, that's been around since. The founding of New York basically and was a Revolutionary War base, which is wild because when you look out the window now, there's a Pet Boys across the street and a Staples (laughs) and a Staples. Uh, But it's this really awesome space, and the show was incredible. Why don't you tell everyone what the show was
1: about? Yeah, the show is called uh, Reimagining Monuments. It's curated by this amazing woman, Katie Fuller, and it's all about you know, there's this ongoing conversation about monuments and what they mean today and really sort of looking at the history of some of these figures and contending with just how complicated all of it is. So all of the works in the show deal with various figures in history uh, that have monuments about them and, so, and about kind of like challenging yeah all of it that. was
0: incredible there was some really amazing pieces yeah. or work. I mean, I. You were right. You called it which one I would be fascinated by, and yes. it was. I obviously I don't remember the artist's name. What was her, what's her name?
1: I met her briefly at the very end. I will get that name.
0: Well, I took photos. So I'll post it. Yes. Um, but what she did was she um, took these original gynecological instruments from this doctor... What was his name? J. Jay, Jay Marion Sims. Yes. Super hideous, disgusting, beast warrior man... Yeah. ...who is also considered to be the father of gynecology. Yeah. And he used enslaved women, black women, mm-hmm. um, to carry out his experiments And... Without anesthesia. Right. Without anesthesia, because he said that it didn't create as much pain. And her piece was not only highlighting the instruments, which were brutish, and basically just spoons, but also look wildly similar to what is used today, the spectrum. Um, And it was her intent, her artist statement was to speaking to the fact that um, this is considered to be the father of gynecology, yet few people actually know of him, few doctors study him, obviously because he was so brutish, but his experiments still kind of lead the field, and there hasn't been this reckoning of the ways in which um, women, certainly, but black women were used to be the guinea pigs, most literally, in furthering the understanding of the female body, and it's just, it was was pretty powerful, I mean, it was kind of a hard space to view it, because I think it would have been... You know, I could ju- it, like I liked her display of it, but mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to step backwards to see it more clearly. But your piece was in the middle. <laughs> I had this
1: giant thing in the floor,
0: <laughs> which was really awesome. It Thank was you. so cool. I'll post photos of Damien's work, but why don't you describe for the listeners what it is that you do?
1: Uh, yeah. So I have this practice that's largely about sort of understanding the ways in which blackness, quote unquote, as a concept gets coded and decoded in various cultures around the world and um so when when i say that I, i'm really talking about the ways in which we mark things as black or mark things as um other yeah culturally colloquially etc and that's largely accomplished through this loosely fixed lexicon of shapes that i've been developing for myself over time that get um, sort of used uh in various ways with the work so i'm really interested in taking these complicated ideas around like the black experience distilling them into these base iconic forms and then really testing the limits of what they're capable of doing narratively by creating all these different kinds of objects
0: yeah it's really incredible and not only do they have great meaning behind each piece they're also fun to look at and um they, I think they, it's always different your reaction, or the reaction I have to your different pieces, because there's obviously so much substance behind them, but some of them are poppy and fun. And so that's like a really cool kind of mixture of emotions that you force people to deal with. It's not, and it's also what I think is cool about your work too, is you kind of get people who might not be interested in deep work that's thoughtful and more impactful. Um, to actually be forced to consider it because it's imagery that they like to look at, and they're drawn to.
1: Yeah, you really kind of like hit the nail on the head in terms of what I like to do. Um, everything that I make is made using um, what what I consider like kind of seductive materials, like yeah. wood, laser-cut plexiglass, stuff like that. So the. Hope is that you're really drawn in by the materials and you're drawn in by the aesthetics of it. And then it's kind of like, well, what does this shape mean? Yeah, and
0: exactly. Then, and then it
1: kind of opens up this space to have these otherwise kind of uncomfortable conversations. Because right. for me, it's like we're so um, accustomed to and we're so well-versed in like the traditional aesthetics of protests that you kind of have to mm-hmm. like break that up and shake yes. that up to get people who otherwise... like would immediately turn themselves off to those things. Exactly.
0: Like a raised fist. Yeah. Um, it's exactly. kind of just become accepted resistance. Yeah. You know, imagery and somebody who doesn't want to be adverse wouldn't be drawn to that. Yeah. But a football helmet, somebody might perk up and be like, ooh, look at that. Mm-hmm. I wonder what that means, you exactly. know? And so it's really cool. It's subversive, but in in your face. And I'm very proud to know you.
1: Thank you. <laughs> and
0: Lane and I went to your show last night, and this is a great transition into the not the mama time yes, at hand. Yes. But, yeah, and I haven't told Damien this story yet. So we went to Damien's show last night, and, you know, as we said, it was in this old house, which is very tiny. And Damien had his huge work on the middle of the floor, so it cut down on floor space to walk around. So everybody was kind of, like, packed in in mm. the best way possible. Yeah. Um but we were near the piano and the fireplace. So it's an old like Dutch home because that's who settled New York in the first place. And so they have it set up with the fireplace there. It's also a historical center, so they do different lessons and things like that. So mm-hmm. in addition to the art being on display, there's also some of just the museum pieces that are there all the time. And so we were near the fireplace. And this mom and her kid were near us, too. And the kid was probably, like, three or four. Mm-hmm. I would even say maybe two or three. Like, pretty young. Yeah. And it this wasn't really, like, a kid event. No. Especially because it was so tight and you know, it's just another, it's just a classic instance of, okay, your kid is here. Why? But whatever. It's fine. It's Brooklyn. It's Park Slope. I guess we need to have a kid at every location, no matter the appropriateness. Mm -hmm. But anyway, this kid was eating something in this cup and she was right by your piece. Obviously it was on the floor. So she's like the closest to it. And she was just excited. And she, um, shook her hand really fast and a crumb flew out of the cup and landed directly on your piece right in front of me and Lane. Uh. And the mom reacted in a normal way. She picked it up immediately. It didn't leave a mark or anything. It was like a dry crumb. Uh But Lane, for whatever reason, it just set him off. (gasps) (laughs) So he was just openly rolling his eyes and so I made him move away from the mom and child oh my God. and then he was just like this is just what I mean like why does a kid have to be here right now like are, <laughs> like are you working here you know what is the deal it's also late for this kid and she's clearly hot and doesn't She's why is she wearing a tutu like and he's saying all this yeah out loud yeah. and I was like okay breath slain breath oh, you it, know oh, yeah, but it was yeah. just so funny <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, did you know boy. who that kid was no i think they're, they're just kind of like some random kids at the event mm-hmm. one was there very early and she just kept like circling around the piece like she probably walked around the thing like 20 times and was just like
0: "Oh, uh, yeah, people are just so weird about art like jumping on jumping over it touching it you know certainly the adults behave just as badly as the kids yeah but it is like a kid. You can't expect a kid to respect boundaries like and understand I, art.
1: Yeah, like, I mean kids I expect to wanna like right, touch, touch things, or you know? like, yeah. It makes sense. I think it's only um, it's only weird when the parents are like encouraging it. Yes. Cause then it's like you have to kinda of talk to the parent as if they were also a child. Yes. And, like,
0: excuse me. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: it's always awkward. So Yeah.
0: But anyway, so that brings us into our topic at hand children.
1: Uh,
0: Um, so Damien, I like to give some demographic backgrounding to all of our listeners. So why don't you let everyone know your age and relationship status?
1: I, oh God, um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to talk to you about this. We haven't chatted about this in a while. No,
1: I'm 34 and I am happily single. Happily single. Yeah. I feel like I've kind of, Reached this point in my life where having relationships isn't as important to me as like uh, maintaining and cultivating a relationship with myself. Yeah, and I, I know that sounds corny, but I feel like...
0: I don't like, think so at all. That's yeah, I mean, the point of this podcast.
1: Yeah, I mean it's, <laughs> it's something that's like eluded me for a long time, yeah. so you know, as I've become more focused in my own artwork, it's kind of given me this, this space to kind of focus on myself and mm-hmm. figuring out these things that I truly like about myself yeah. and things that I need to work on, stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Well, you're also so busy too.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't really have time for... Like, going on Tinder. Foolishness. I, I actually, smoking. yeah, I mean, I, I can't do any of that stuff anymore. It's just too... Um, it's just too fraught with, like, emotional... I think there's too high a risk for, like, emotional trauma to sort of jump at you from the, from the screen. Yeah. And it's not something that I feel I, – I don't want it in my life. Yeah. Not right now. Well,
0: we – I was at Lane's weekly show, The Fancy Show, mm-hmm. last week, and there was um, a comedian who went up, which I'm forgetting his name now, but he was super funny, but he um, is a black gay man, mm-hmm. and he has a joke about Tinder – or grinder grinder oh, and his joke was he was like framing it like heterosexual people are always like oh that's awesome like you can just get on grinder and it's just like everyone knows what you want and you don't have to deal with anything and it's just you can see where people are and he was like yeah except for gay male culture is like having the male gaze just mirror imaged back at you and so you have to deal with like all of these like standards of how people I'm doing a terrible job of saying the joke. No, but
1: it's exactly that. You know, like imagine being in the bathroom when you have the hand mirror and you, like, point the mirror at the wall mirror and you just see, like, infinity. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's gayness. Yeah. (laughs) Which seems like, you know, in addition to people out there literally hating gay people, I never understand heterosexual people who are like, oh, just seems so much easier for you. It's like, first of all, there are less, fewer gay people, and then there's all this other cultural stuff that goes on, too. I'm not saying that it's easier to be heterosexual by any means, I just think it's a weird thing I'm to I'm willing say. to say that. Being gay is but
1: I'm willing to say that being heterosexual is easier. Oh,
0: yes, 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 yes. <laughs> oh, I thought you were saying the reverse. And i was no, saying, no, no. Like, no, 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 of course, of course, of course, because of all the other reasons. Yeah. However, um, it's just such a weird thing when straight people say that in any context. And I think it's kind of like, a, Oh, I want to, you know, they want to be nice or whatever, but it's just so weird. But then his joke continued to a point where he said that this one guy on Grindr, he messaged cause they like matched and they were close mm. and the guy messaged back, sorry, no black guys.
1: Yeah, it's a very common thing.
0: Yeah, and that's why, because I know you and I have talked about this before, and to and so that it was like just another added piece where it's just like it's so fucked up, and I can't imagine what that does to your psyche, even if you expect it and anticipate it, what it does when it actually happens, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've I've had people literally that I've matched with on Tinder say that I look like a gorilla. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, for me, it's, it's not a space that I consider welcoming or a space that I consider like no. healthy no. mentally. So for me, it's like, I'd rather just meet someone in person the yeah. like old fashioned way. If yeah. You know, it's, if I mean, it's going to happen. Yeah. If it's going to happen.
0: And I think that that's, that is a healthy mindset, especially with all of our lives being so internet focused, you yeah. know? And I get that lots of people meet each other on apps and online, and um, it works out great for a lot of people. But I do think that even as, you know, women too, there's a lot more hatred and. Horribleness that people are more comfortable putting online than they are would say to you in person yeah. if you were just meeting them. You know, in person, they might just walk away from you or not engage, mm-hmm. but they wouldn't send, you know, they wouldn't spit around and be like, oh, and by the way, you look like a gorilla. You know, yeah. like yeah. it's just such a nasty environment that people somehow feel they're allowed to be their worst selves yeah. in. Um, I have a friend who is a she's bigger and she's on the sites and she posts they she posts like the messages that she receives from men mm-hmm. and she posts their faces and names and everything too which Good. i think is like really brave and powerful but it's just so overwhelming the amount of overtly sexualized horrific messages that she receives even when they start off a conversation normal and then it just twists into something really perverse that you know in real life none of these assholes would ever have the audacity to say or bravery to say and it's just so wild that I, I mean I don't really understand it I don't think society really gets it yet the dangerous power of the negative trolling that happens online in general yeah but when you're out there looking for who you want to spend your life with or just someone to connect with, those emotions are already heightened. So I feel like in that state, it's just so much more damaging and so much more. I agree. Shitty. So obviously I support you. I think it's very healthy to focus on yourself and figure out all that's going for you because you've got an exciting life and all of that that's happening too. I think so. Um, And I kind of feel like eventually you're going to match with someone IRL that's pretty cool even if it's not forever I know you're such an engaging wonderful person you Thanks. know um but moving on from your so you're very happily single yeah what what does that mean as far as your desire to have children
1: um I kind of don't yeah. have a desire to have children right now I think um I'm very fortunate to have two like amazing godchildren and that's kind of enough for me. You know, I also, you know, I'm doing this residency right now at the Sugar Hill Children's Museum up in Harlem. So I'm around children, you know, from three to eight all the time.
0: Yeah, you have way more interaction with children than most people I know who like children. Not not that you don't like children, but who want children. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You've got a good sense of reaffirming your decision. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I was kind of hesitant going into it thinking like, oh, is this going to make me want to have children or is this gonna make me feel guilty about not wanting children, yeah. but it's kind of just sort of reaffirmed everything that I felt before. Yeah, I think that I, uh, I'm, i you know, just some background on Sugar Hill, it's a very new museum. It's only been around since 2015 and I'm literally the fourth artist in residence mm-hmm. that they've ever had. I'm pretty sure the first queer person and I'm, I think I might be the first one that didn't have kids of their own oh, wow. who's done this residency so I'm kind of coming at it from this completely different perspective where it's like I, I don't really have this um, personal experience or personal background like literally taking care of a child 24-7 yeah. to sort of pull from when I'm interacting with these kids right. it's, it's kind of just my interactions With With people. Yeah, with people. You know, and I'm kind of treating it like, you know, kids are just little people. Right. Which they are. They are, yeah. I mean, they're actually people too.
0: And it's very nice if you don't mind them to interact with them on that level and then leave them and not have to care for any.
1: I enjoy that part the most, actually.
0: (laughs) Because it is tiring. I was just in Seattle a couple weeks ago with my niece and I babysat her, and it was only for like an hour and a half that she was actually awake. But as soon as my sister and brother in law left, The house was just quiet because you forget, like you know, when it's me and my sister and Freya, it's really loud and fun because we're talking to each other and engaging with the baby. But then, as soon as all the other adults leave, you're left with this person who can't speak to you, (laughs) who's still cute and you need to still engage with. Yeah. But it's just so much more intense on your end. And then I gave her a bath, which was very successful, I will say, but also (laughs) hilarious because. I always make a bath for babies a little too cold because I'm too afraid of scalding. Yeah,
1: no, <laughs> it's, just, it's true.
0: Especially someone else's kid, you know, you just want to make sure they are in one piece at the end of the night. Um, but it all, it all came together. But at the end of it, I was just like, holy shit, I'm exhausted. Yeah. And that, and that level of tired I have only experienced with children. Like yeah. when my best friend Cassie and her girls came and stayed with us, to go to the ballet in October the end of the weekend I like I came to work on Monday and I was just like I I am so tired yeah I am so tired
1: well it makes you feel for the parents you know yes that's the kind of thing it's actually a major factor in why I don't want to have kids you're right yeah and not like i'm not saying that in a selfish way like oh i don't want to do the work but it's like i just feel like the weight of that yeah the weight of that work and that responsibility that you have to like bring this other human being into the world and like try to make sure they're not a shitty person right and like that's a lot of work yeah it's like a huge responsibility
0: and I think like a lot of the, you know this comes up again and again and again the selfishness mm. of people who chill, who choose not to have children and obviously on this podcast we don't believe in that no. I think sometimes it might be selfish to have children, especially you know in this environmental like yeah. climate with the population already on the earth and in that it's that is truly dependent on certain populations of people for sure because. I, the more I've been reading into it and the more I've been studying, you know, population and stuff like that, I do want to be careful as a child-free person of wading into these waters of, like, population control and who yeah, should yeah. be allowed to have children and who shouldn't be allowed to have children. Yeah. There's also this conversation that kind of always w- bubbles up now as more and more of us who are more highly educated and... um You know, maybe more Mm liberal-leaning, maybe more progressive. I say maybe because we know liberals and progressives are not always that liberal or progressive. Exactly. Um, But also maybe more, you know, economically advantaged. This conversation keeps kind of leading to this space that, oh, well, you know, it's like Idiocracy, that movie, where all of the smart people stop having kids and all the dumb people keep having children and then, you know, the world just gets taken over. Yeah. And I just think that that's a really dangerous conversation to have and mindset to have about this because I think that anyone who wants to have children should actually have them. Yeah. And I think that um, that from what I know of the history of eugenics, it's a very slippery slope between you know, population control and genocide and very evil practices of white supremacy. And yeah. so I do want to be cautious talking about that kind of stuff. Like, that's something new that's kind of been coming up in my mind the yeah. more I read about, you know, all, you know, wanting to figure out ways of defending my decision, but then also wanting to be mindful that it doesn't mean that the other side is evil or whatever. No. Um... But it is kind of interesting, you know, to consider all of these factors, you know, it's not selfish to want to be involved in ourselves at this point in humanity's history because we're good on people. That's not to say that people who want kids shouldn't have them, but it's not—we're not in a crisis,
1: you know. <laughs> like, I mean, it, like, the population's not going to go. Extinct no,
0: it's soon. not. It's not. You know,
1: for me, it's—you know—it's it, really just about. Um, I don't necessarily think that I would be like a good parent. I feel like I'd be like a really neurotic one. Yeah. Because I would just constantly be, like, worried about this other person. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think about that a lot, too, because, you know, when I got my cats, I was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I truly was. Like, Lane was, for sure, concerned about my mental well-being, because I just kept imagining them dying. Yeah. You know, I mean, I still do. I keep thinking they're going to fall out of the window or whatever. Yeah. But now I'm able to leave the house without thinking like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, are they okay? Yeah. And just imagining if that's the way I feel about pets, like how I would feel about a person I create. Yeah. But then at the same time, I think that that kind of care and compassion can really make great parents. But it would come at a cost to you. Knowing that you're that empathetic and knowing that you're that caring-minded of a person it would come at a cost to your art. It would come at a cost to what drives your soul. Yeah. You know? And so, and that's where it's like, well, there's this fine line between, of course you would make a great parent, you know? Your caring attitude would lend yourself to that, but that would mean a diminishing of your self-care, and then who knows what that would mean for your kids, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, it's all I mean, kind
0: of a weird, knotted circle.
1: Well, that's kind of, you know, the interesting thing about it. It's like, you know, if you're not... Um sort of a I don't want to say like a self-actualized person but if you're not a person that's like happy with yourself and the life that you're leading you know will you be able to like make someone else's life a happy life I'm I'm not sure I don't really know
0: I don't I don't even know if there is an answer to that question I think it's always like I think it is more rhetorical in like figuring out what makes a good parent a good parent, and, like, what makes a good person a good person. Like, how do you create a good person? How do you raise a good person? Yeah. Um, and, well, one thing that I'm thinking right now about our conversation, um, and that I'm happy that I'm re- having this realization, is I think that people who have kids think that they're constantly thinking about parenting issues and all this kind of stuff. But I also think that people who are child-free and don't want to have kids think about this stuff just as much, you know, like, it's not like we're devoid of that part of our lives because I think there's this, um, this kind of superficial idea that we're incomplete people because, you know, we're not parents and we don't have that experience, but we still think about these same issues. It's just that we're not actualizing them in our daily lives because we've made firm decisions for ourselves. Yeah. And that's kind of a unique thing that just came to my mind or a unique thought, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely even, you know, go further and say that there's something about um, thinking about these things when you don't have children that yeah. really sort of speaks to having, like, a, a civic-mindedness yes. and, you know, a, a consciousness of the community. Like, I have to think about how people raise their children every second I'm at yeah. that museum. Yeah. And I have to, like, be sensitive to the myriad ways in which, you know, people want to to raise their kids or not raise their kids Mm -hmm. or, you know, be involved or not be involved, be hands-on, be hands-off, like, and I have to, like, know what my boundaries Mm -hmm. are and know how I want, um, children to interact with me, how I want to, like, model the kind of behavior that I want to see out of the kids, but also still be respectful of the parents and stuff, and that's, like, a hard thing to juggle, Right. Especially when you don't have that this sort of, like, safety net of being able to say, well, like, I raise my kids this way. Right. You know, this is, yeah. like, I, I can speak from a place of authority because I have these children. I'm not going to be able to do that, so I kind of, I don't it want It does to...
0: have to be community-minded.
1: Yeah. It does. Yeah.
0: And that was actually kind of sort of what, like, made me want to even start this podcast because I, and I've talked about this so much, and I... I am working up the guts to finally do it and get involved, but um, it was sort of born about. Do you read? Um, I think her name. She called. She's Ida Baywell. Ida Baywell is on Twitter, but she's N Hannah Jones. She. But and I think her first name is Nicole. Mm-hmm. I I need to just burn this into my memory. But
1: yeah, I don't think I'm familiar.
0: Well, she is a New York Times uh, columnist. Mm-hmm. who writes specifically about education but most primarily about the segregated education system mm-hmm. that still exists today yeah. and um, so she also is based in New York and so obviously we have a lot of very significant segregation issues in yeah. the city based yeah. on education um, and she was writing about a very specific parent-teacher conference or uh, not a parent-teacher conference, Uh. PTA um I
1: think I know what you're talking about community
0: board. Yeah, where all those parent those rich wealthy white parents were screaming because the new city schools czar or whatever they call it um was going to Mm -hmm. take away the exams that were getting students into the competitive high schools. Mm -hmm. Um and these rich, wealthy white parents were pissed about that because they had spent so much money on tutors and test prep that wasn't available to some other parents who have less means, which typically resulted in black and Latino um, people. And so the schools weren't being as diverse as they should be. There was like a segregational aspect to it. So anyway, she was just writing about the vitriol of these people who consider themselves to be liberal progressives, who still want the best for only their children. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what was making me tick, like, oh, I should be involved in this. Like, I don't have kids, and so I can speak to what I want my community to look like still. And maybe because I don't have kids, I don't have this personal need to defend my specific child. Yeah and the financial input I've put in to that child to get into these schools, I can speak a better truth to the overall, you know, progressive ideal of diverse schools, you know, and the access for all. Yeah.
1: I mean, we're still contributing financially. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. And so, and I used to just defer like, oh, well, I don't have kids, so I have to, you know, parents know best. But now I'm realizing, no way. I know... An equal amount as any of these people. I don't know what your it, what your kid goes through on a daily basis, but as far as the grander political, socioeconomical, mm-hmm. all of these kind of things, I can speak to yeah. in my community um, exactly because I pay taxes.
1: <laughs> you know, it's like when you reach the same age that your parents were when they had you, and you're like, "Oh wow, you were totally clueless mm-hmm. like when you had me." Like, yeah. It's a miracle I'm still alive.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. uh, it is, I'm over, I am well beyond the age of when my parents have me at this oh, point. I'm Um, but that's a good, well, actually, before I shift the convo, I'm going to try to force you to come to, uh, one of these community things with me then. I'm, I'm down. Scared.
1: I feel like it's just entertaining. You just have to treat it like, you know, this is something that's happening that, I should care about, obviously, but at the end of the day, it's like, I don't know how to say it, but...
0: You like to watch the show.
1: You know, get the popcorn out. Right. You know.
0: And I I guess I shouldn't say I'm scared. I'm overwhelmed by it, because New York City is just an overwhelming place. Also, I'm easily overwhelmed by things, like Mm -hmm. setting up our tech tonight. I'm so proud of myself, because I figured it out, but... You did it. I'm still overwhelmed. I was super (laughs)
1: impressed. (laughs) But that's kind of like what art is about. It's it's just I know, like you know, yes. you're flying by the seat of your pants. And, and
0: then, like the creative process is definitely like forcing yourself to go forward even though you believe you can't. Yeah. Um that's what I experience every day of this podcast. <laughs> I mean, I'm
1: a strong believer in like putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. Me too. That's how you grow.
0: Yes. But I wanna force you to come with me. <laughs> we can be
1: uncomfortable together.
0: Well, also we could be like the non parent reps of our regions. Yeah.
1: They'll <laughs> all be like who is this queen and like why? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's kind of like my other thing. It is such an awkward thing to be like Especially in New York City where like kids are so well protected like you can't I can't go to a playground without a kid You know and I want to be mindful of that because I think it's so important like pedophiles are real and yeah so all around us all the time they're everywhere and so I don't want to, I don't want to be like Demanding things that then make it easier for these fucking weirdos to have access to kids of course not but I, as an active, involved citizen, and I think my, I my I bet you anything will go to one of these meetings and will realize that it's, like, so many people who don't have kids at all.
1: Oh, totally. <laughs> like, that's these old, weird New
0: Yorkers. Yeah, you who know, just, like, want to gripe about something. Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm preparing to become, an old, weird New Yorker. Yeah, you're not
1: really a New Yorker until you've got something to gripe about. Right.
0: I mean, I've got a lot to gripe about. Yeah. But... Not enough yet. Not. I don't have enough. Is it ever enough? No, it isn't. Um, but no, I do want to shift the conversation a little bit because you're talking about you know your parents and how old they were when they had you. So, yeah. Out of curiosity, what was your childhood like? Um,
1: hmm. the early years of my childhood were. I'm not even sure how to best describe it. We moved around a lot. Mm -hmm. I was born in like rural Louisiana. And then at uh, three years old, we moved to Massachusetts. We stayed there for like two and a half years or something like that, but basically we had to move because my brother who had sickle cell would get like pneumonia every winter and almost die. So my father had to put in for a transfer to a place with a more stable yeah. um, sort of climate, which is why we wound up in Phoenix. Yeah. And Phoenix is where I stayed from, like, 5 until 17 when I came to New York for yeah. school.
0: What did your dad do?
1: He was an electrician. Oh, okay. And my mother was a school teacher. Oh, so, okay, So cool. uh, a little bit of elementary school, but mostly high school, teaching, like, um... Early childhood development, family and consumer sciences—all the like fancy names we've come up with for home ec. Yeah, you know?
0: <laughs> Which do they even teach home ec anymore?
1: They just don't call it that. They, Which, you know, it's like broken up into all these subdivisions. So, yeah, you know, again, it's like family and consumer sciences, where it's like they'll teach you how to balance a checkbook and like run the home and stuff or foods. Yeah. Where you will learn how to cook and things like that. But yeah,
0: I remember making monkey bread. Did you ever make that?
1: I never took that class.
0: Oh. So sorry. <laughs> That's funny. <I'm> sorry. <laughs> it was well when I was in middle school it was a requirement to take homac So we I I'm you know, I grew up in New York State and I just have to say my childhood education was actually excellent. Yeah. Especially being from a really small town. Like obviously I think who knows where I could be if I grew up in a bigger place. But um, ultimately I think that my education was really on par by the sound of it Mm -hmm. with, like, private education in other places. Yeah. Because we had all of this, like, we had excellent sex education. Mm -hmm. We had to take home ec. I had to take technology, which was woodworking. Oh, wow. I had to take you know, all computer literacy classes, which was a different form of technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but in um our home ac, which I forget what we it was called something else too. But I do remember cooking was monkey bread, which is just cutting up um, Pillsbury biscuits and then dumping cinnamon and sugar all over them and baking them, and you pull it apart. Oh, I could
1: probably handle that. I mean, you know, I say... It's not baking. (laughs)
0: It's not real cooking.
1: I make all these jokes about, like, not being able to cook all the time and stuff. Yeah, you could do that. I mean, I can. I, you know, spent a lot of time in the kitchen with my mother. Yeah. Just like...
0: Yeah. You know... It actually makes sense that you had an electrician father and a uh, teaching mother you, based upon your stableness and ability to do all things.
1: You know, it's always about like just quietly like getting the thing to work while yeah. someone's freaking out. Yes, yeah, so that you. is
0: what you are excellent. At. Thank you. <laughs> when you leave, I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> oh, I will not care. I know. So- <laughs> No, I will throw you a party. I will be very happy yeah. for
1: you. But it's, um, yeah, it's um, it's interesting because I I think I had a really good edu- education too, but I think a lot of that had to do with having a mother yeah. that was an educator, so who
0: knew how to advocate?
1: Yeah, like you know, and just having someone constantly there who was always sort of putting the focus back on education yeah. was like super helpful to me. I. I Definitely um don't want to give the impression that my childhood was like all like sunshine and rainbows. Right. There was definitely like some we well, had a
0: brother with a chronic illness. I had a
1: brother with a chronic illness. I had a father who um, you know, like you know, was not good to my mother a yeah. lot. You know, he you know, tried to kill her Aww. a couple times. times. Yeah. You know, and like imagine being like eight years old. Yeah and this is the sort of really uh sort of twisted part about that is you know my brother because he had sickle cell he by the time we were toddlers we were like the same size yeah and after that I was like much bigger than him yeah so everyone assumed that I was like the older sibling which like drove him insane but then it also meant that in situations like that I would have to sort of take on like whatever physical role yeah was necessary so like when that would happen like he would be the one to call nine one one, and then like i would be the one to have to like try and pull him off of her yeah so imagine like doing that yeah eight years old having to like fight yeah a grown man it's it's um
0: was did he use any substances or was it just rage
1: i think it was like a lot of anger issues Mm -hmm. um you know i don't think there was a lot of substance abuse i think there might have been like a little bit yeah um you know, they did a good job of, like, shielding me and my brother from that a lot, but when it came out, like, it came out, and it was always sort of super confusing, and, you know, I think it might also have a lot to do with why I don't want to have kids now, because, like, I think about all those things that happened when I was, like, a little kid, and I can't even imagine, like, even just potentially subjecting someone to something like that it's you know I just constantly think about all the things that I had to deal with growing up as a kid and not ever wanting that to happen to someone Mm -hmm. else like you know like things with my father or like being gay and being like terrified to sort of say anything I remember once in high school my dad like found some stuff like in my room Mm -hmm. and he like basically told me like if I was gay, I couldn't stay in the house. Yeah. So then, you know, it it was always, like, kind of these, like, survival instincts growing up and kind of having to let those things take over in ways that I don't think... You just shouldn't have to do that stuff as a kid. No.
0: And I think, too, that people often diminish our own childhoods as the reason for why we don't want to have kids, you know? Like, it... Makes sense.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, <laughs> you, know, you know, to live in, e- even if it was like a home where you had a good foundation and you did have love and things were good, the bad stuff being really bad can super mess up a person and yeah. make you just not want to even have to almost co- confront that or deal with that yeah. with regards to another person. Yeah. You know, because it's so much effort to take care of that one within ourselves yeah. that to put that on to another person is just a lot. Yeah. Like my dad has a drinking problem mm-hmm. and I didn't even know about it until I was a senior in high school, almost out of the house, um, because that's how like concealed it was. Mm-hmm. And I just think for me, like it's something that I think I'm probably just coming to grips with in terms with Uh, in my own life, like how much alcohol I drink and if it's a problem, if it's something I need to confront, you know, figuring out where the line is between dependency and just a good time. Mm -hmm. And if I'm a little bit blurred on that, it's probably the latter. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I, you know, I, I I think I'm functional and I'm okay, but to also think about that in regards to a kid, you know, that's a thing. That's a real thing. And, Um, you know, I don't think I would be thinking about that if I didn't have those experiences with my dad. So, hello? I mean, it's (laughs) it's
1: tough when, like, you know, you're, like, a high-functioning person who recognizes that, you know, okay, I'm able to, like, do all these things, make all these things happen, but if I fuck up, it's only me that suffers you know cuz you know what happens when like somebody else fucks up yeah. and you're the one that has to suffer so it's it's um yeah it's it's like not a thing that i want to do i yeah. feel like i'm still like trying to contend with my own childhood yeah. in all these ways and, and i mean it's a big part of what drew me to doing this residency at this children's museum it's about like kind of figuring out a way to like revert back and maybe undo some of those things that Mm -hmm. I don't think should have happened.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you know, I think that's the freedom that we give ourselves when we make the choice not to have our own kids. Um, You have that time, you have so much time to not only do the fun things that you want to do, but also the really hard things that are required of all humans, you know, and I think oftentimes people who choose to become parents, they kind of get an 18-year hold on having to figure themselves out. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not saying that's true universally, but it's a it's a real thing. I mean, I've definitely you
1: know? got friends that, like, you know, they, you know, they're older than me, but they had kids young, and then the kids grew up, and now it's like they're acting like they're 23, 24, when they're really, like, you know for one another yeah. 20 years on that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, okay, that's not cute either. Yeah. In my mind.
0: You've got... It's got to be a balance, like... Because it can't just be a, like, oh, I, I had kids at this point, and now my life put on hold. I raised the kids, now they're gone, and now I'm going to party and live it up. You yeah. know, it's like... And I just... We got to find a way of making it happen where parents can parent, but also develop as humans that are continually growing and evolving on their own level. Agreed. You know, and I don't know, you know, I try to be really supportive to my friends who are parents. Like, I think that's the best thing that child-free people can do. Mm -hmm. And also another point of the podcast is understanding how to relate to your friends with kids better and that you don't have to just surround yourself with people who make the same decisions as you in your life.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and I think that that's really important for us. Um, and that doesn't mean that you – like, if you don't like kids, if you don't want to be a nurturer, like, that's totally fine. You don't have to do that.
1: There's nothing wrong with that.
0: But you can still maintain friendships with parents, you yeah. know. Like, you just don't have to be around their kids. Like, just – keep your friendship, you know, talk, you know, make sure your friend is getting a chance to go out. Like, you know, and I think like if you have the means, maybe pay for a babysitter or something, like do something nice, like, you know, or like figure out or just go hang out after the kid goes to bed in their house, you know, like figure out a way of making it work so you can maintain that friendship. Um, and also give your parent friends a way to keep being, Connected to the non-parent world.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I never really thought about it this much but I I do think that um, Having kids kind of folds into this larger narrative, you know, just like as a gay person I Mm -hmm. kind of like I expect my Relationships with heterosexual people to kind of have a fixed sort of shelf life. Yeah, and I kind of expect them to you know, move on with their lives in yeah. all these different ways and that's something that I uh, I guess I hadn't really thought about you know the kids being like an integral part in that but it, it, it really is true you know they go and they get married and they have kids and they do all these things and they're all sort of like these milestones that like as a queer person who's not interested in like heteronormative yeah. or whatever it's like I'm not interested in any of those sort of like Milestones, quote unquote.
0: Yeah, and actually, that's something I do want to talk about with you a little bit more, like because um, I think that, well, we've talked about it before just on our own, but the changing culture of what it means to be gay, where, you know, it's great that you're getting these things like being allowed to get married, whatever that means. Yeah, woohoo. But it's kind of transforming. Gay culture as it was before, and sort of putting the same types of pressures on heterosexual people that they experience with having to marry, having to settle down, having to do this. Yeah. Now you're suddenly the gay community is faced with all these things too, which is fine for the people who want that, but like not everybody has to want that. So now there's another way that you have to assert yourself that's maybe against the grain. Yeah. That's.
1: I mean, I would even go as far to say that there is no such thing as, like, gay culture. Yeah. I think, you know, queer culture definitely exists. Yeah. But I think that, you know, you can be a gay person and not necessarily be, like, queer. You can still right. be heavily invested in, like, traditional values. Yes. And that's uh,
0: such a great distinction to yeah So yeah. glad you pointed that out. So,
1: I mean, I'm, like, a gay person, but I don't necessarily... um I consider myself queer because I'm not interested or invested in any of those, like, heteronormative, like, things. I I don't have any interest in, like, maintaining, like, a traditional, like, monogamous relationship with someone. I have no interest in, like, getting married. I don't have any interest in, like, having children. Like, I believe that there is space for all of those things to potentially happen. But there's not, they aren't things that I want. Yeah. You know? they, and they, they aren't things that need to happen for me to feel like a complete person. Right. So.
0: Yeah, you're not feeling held back because yeah. you didn't have that option before or whatever.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I think having that option to conform has really kind of caused um, this sort of like chasm to exist in the gay community where a lot of these things that you know have kind of gone unsaid are bubbling to the surface like the racism the sexism the transphobia yeah oh yeah I mean all of that stuff has existed in the gay community for a long time and I think that now because you have the option to have like a quote-unquote normal life You know, it's it's always interesting to me how quickly they will turn on. You know, like their own people when you get a chance to like come up.
0: Yeah. Well, I think a great example of that is the human rights campaign. Yeah. Was, you know, everyone was so about it, and then it became clear that it was basically for wealthier white gay men. Yeah. Who wanted the heteronormative lifestyle, you know, and all of the financial benefits that are afforded to Mm -hmm. people with that lifestyle. And, you know, obviously I'm still happy that I supported it when, you know, they were fighting for these rights or whatever, but little did I know that it would come out that they were very anti-trans, that they were pretty, you know, anti Anybody who couldn't afford to support them at certain levels, yeah, I mean, you know, it wasn't it wasn't speaking to all the people who are affected by homophobia. Yeah, it was only speaking to a very specific type of population.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're talking about people who um, probably have homophobia as the only hurdle, right, that they have to jump right. in life. So if we want to talk about, you know, gay. Queer people of color, trans people, you know, trans women of color—probably the most right. unproductive, yes, Democrat dem, demogra- demographic. Demographic. <laughs> there is, you know, it's it's important to um, acknowledge that there are these differences and distinctions, and we've been forced to lump ourselves together out of necessity for a long time. But as certain uh factions of this group sort of see their rights get delivered to them yeah at different rates it's important to remember like we constantly have to kind of like check in with our community and also recognize what that community is celebrate that community um acknowledge that community and like stand up for them right whenever possible
0: right i mean i think um there was a reckoning sort of very similar to the feminist movement where Wealthy white women were being serviced first, and then the intersectionality wasn't even considered. Yeah, and it required more labor for people who were being put down by the people who were sp- sp- saying they were speaking for all, you know. And I think that's something important to keep in mind. I think, um, you know, those kind of layers and it exists everywhere, you know. Yeah. It's yeah. like it any movement any time i mean it's in the child free you know there's it's mostly white women speaking to it who have more means who are able to you know say like oh i travel i don't have kids like you know and yeah. there are lots of people who are child free who are struggling and they don't have the ability to speak to this or yeah. you know like i mean there're just so many different layers to all of this and yeah. there are people who are child free who might be Black trans women who just have a lot of other things to think about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like,
1: you know.
0: like the, claiming to not want kids is, like, very low on the list. So, yeah. it's like a privileged position, for mm-hmm. sure. And I think that, for me, it's been really important to be reminded of that within yeah. all of these other distinctions, too, and all of these other struggles for visibility, yeah. is that there's all, it's this privileged position is always the loudest and mm-hmm. you know thinks they speak for all when there's a huge blind spot that a person like me me has you know yeah. who can't speak to those sure. things um so it's really important to be like mindful of all that too yeah
1: and i think you know especially when we're having this conversation about you know not wanting children or you know for me it goes back to this question and this is like a question that queer people are like constantly asking themselves is like what does family actually look like yeah and what does that mean and for a lot of queer people family um is something that's formed with the people that you choose yeah you know you choose to call someone your son mm-hmm. or your daughter yeah your aunt your uncle and that may not be like a blood relationship but that's that's a relationship that like you will die for right you know Uh.
0: and I think that if people are really honest with themselves ultimately that is going to be the real fight of people who want to proclaim this like child-free label Mm -hmm. which I've talked a lot about having conflictions about that in general because I feel like my life is childful and yeah you know like there's you know there's just lots of different levels and layers to it but obviously I am a child-free woman but I, I think ultimately it's going to be. But are well, you? Well, I mean, I don't have. I'm not having children myself. Yeah, kids are not mm-hmm. exploding out of my womb. Yeah, but <laughs> that's the thing. That's, right. But so exactly. that's like
1: the distinction to make. You know? Right.
0: Well, yes, that is, and I think you know. Well, I on my last episode, I read an essay by Roxanne Gay. It was very short. It was only a few paragraphs, but she is. She's famously, you know, a woman who does not have children yeah. um, And so she's often and because she's such a pro prolific author Such an academic people love hearing about her and her position on things She's been asked time and time again to give her position on being child-free mm-hmm. Well, she's not child-free, exactly. you know, and she doesn't have children, but it hasn't necessarily been a choice, but it's not something that she wallows in and it's not necessarily something she celebrates And so she still uses the term childless mm-hmm. And I think that was like a very important distinction where you know child the child free movement very purposefully chose "child-free" mm-hmm. because they wanted it to be more of a choice and a disclaimer that this was not something that was put upon us, but yeah. something that was you know, chosen. A, yes, chosen. And there is a very important space and conversation to be had about that. But childless is still relative, well, you it, know, yeah. and you can't force a label on anybody, yeah. you know, regardless of whether or not you want them to be celebrating it. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. like it's such a personal thing. It is. Um. So yes, I think that is an important distinction, but my, going back to my further point I think that the actual conversation to be had is what does family mean to you yeah and who gets to decide what a family is exactly and it's been so tied to this patriarchal heteronormative mm-hmm. male head of household wife husband wife child A child B yeah maybe child 2.0 uh, whatever you know where we always
1: feel bad for like the point yeah <laughs> That's my my (laughs) sister Kat. She's the extra (laughs) addition.
0: Um, no, yeah, it's um I think that the actual conversation to be had is who gets to decide what a family is. Yeah. And do we need the government to certify what family is? And I resoundingly don't think so, which is also why I'm just not a person who's ever gonna get married. You know, so there's a lot of conversation to be had still, and I think all of these thoughts are all tied up in that answer. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think choosing my friends, they're my family. Like yeah. and that's what I've said so much. Like even though I have a niece who's a blood relation and I have Lane's siblings kids who I consider my niece as a nephew. Mm-hmm. I have so many friends whose kids have been in my life longer who are very important to me. Yeah. Just as your goddaughters are to mm-hmm. you. And um like regardless of the children, I've got so many friends who are as close to me as family, Yeah. and that's what I want in my life too. Yeah. And I have family who I don't need to talk to, who I no, don't it's, who don't deserve. I to mean,
1: be in my life. that's that's the thing, you know. There's especially you know, thinking about queer people. There's so many people whose like biological parents aren't around, right? Don't want them in their lives, and you know, it's, it's like a lot of other people typically. You know, trans women of color who step in and become mothers. Yeah. You know, and they do everything that a mother would do right. for these kids. You know, they keep them alive.
0: And safe and yeah, connected. And yeah. Which is vital. Yeah. It's not a small thing. And yeah, and even though even though, you know, more and more people are quote unquote becoming accepting of these lifestyles, which I think is just such a Weird way of framing that conversation.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I've never liked that word. No acceptance. Personally. No,
0: because it's just—it's like, what the fuck does happen? <laughs> like, you, know, like, you don't get to like, accept another person. Like, yeah. a person is. I'm here. Who they are. Yeah. yeah like, you <laughs> uh, know, like, deal with it. Right? You know? <laughs> um, But yeah, I just—I think that that is all tied to this full conversation, and I think I certainly don't. Like my point of view that I've talked about a lot on the podcast is that I want to expand the circle of who gets to have this conversation. Yeah. And I certainly don't want to be a person who closes anybody out. Yeah. Which there are certain people who want to very clearly define who gets to be in this conversation of child freeness or who is child free or yeah. what does that mean. And I've, I see the parallels in other movements before and so I want to learn from that and just
1: not be that person, you know Well, I think I'd also be remiss if we didn't talk about the need for education on like how people can not necessarily work within these systems and structures but be aware of them and know how to game them in a way that advantages people that you care for like yeah. I'm thinking about some story in the news the other day about, you know, this this woman whose stepfather literally raised her but did not leave a will. Mm-hmm. So now the house that she's grown up in for the last 30 years is going to revert back yep. to some random relatives, you yep. know, from like an island that she's never met before. So, you know, I I do want to figure out a way I'm not saying that's something we will accomplish right now no. but you know figure out a way to open up these conversations about how uh your it's like metaphorical you like your concept of family can be protected right in the world as it exists today right you know and just being cognizant of that being a thing that needs to be uh thought about right and
0: a piece of the conversation it can't be just kind of like an afterthought because it is really important exactly um but yeah well Damien this has been an awesome conversation thank you um you are so cool and smart and you always make me feel cool and smart
1: I can never hear that enough
0: (laughs) um so let's do plug time Uh Why don't you let listeners know where they can connect with you, what projects you've got going on, where they can buy your art? Yikes.
1: Um, So I have a solo show coming up this May at the Center for Art and Wood in Philadelphia. Uh, It's going to be a fun show. Lane and
0: I are going. Yes.
1: And then later this year, I will have my solo show at the museum. Uh, Oh, my God. The Sugar Hill Children's Museum of Art and Storytelling, uh, July eighth or 18th. There's an eight in there somewhere. Uh, and then you can also follow me on Instagram. What do they say now? The children do they say do they say IG or the gram or do they insta. Just... that's what i say okay but i'm
0: not one of the children (laughs) i I just can't keep up anymore i'm a 35 year old woman almost
1: (laughs) i'm on insta and it's just at damien davis
0: and i also yes damien with an e i also want to make sure i plug your pins because i think that's the easiest way people can purchase your art I have his full collection, and I'll have it up on the stories, <laughs> but they're super cool. It's his shapes, and they make great statement pieces, and a great way to support one of your new favorite artists. Yeah,
1: support artists.
0: Um, and... Oh, yeah. I got it.
1: <laughs> This the is our amazing. intro,
0: outro. <laughs> um, also, listeners, thank you, thank you, thank you. Not the Mama podcast fans. Thank you for engaging, listening in. Um, you know where to find us all on our website, com, Also on Instagram, Not the Mama Media. And, of course, you know, we're very exciting. We're now on Spotify and Google Play in addition to SoundCloud, iTunes, and the Laughable app. So, literally, everyone can connect now. Please tell your friends, tell your family. Um, thank you for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying our sound because <laughs> I am. It makes me, like so happy (laughs) i can't even tell you um anyway anyway thank you to all who have written to me i super appreciate it and i will speak to you next time bye